Okay, welcome back to the AEC Hive podcast, where we're talking about innovation in the architecture, engineering, and construction sector. I'm Ralph Montague. I'm a director at ArcDocs, and I'm co-founder of the AEC Hive. Uh, I'm joined by my fellow co-founder, John Egan from BIM Launcher. John, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. I'm John Egan from BIM Launcher here. I'm looking forward to this conversation for a while, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. Very good. We're very excited today to be joined by Chris Langiza, who's the Director of Business Development at Procore Technologies. Chris, you're very welcome. Do you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself and uh, and also your role and, and a bit about Procore just to get started? Sure. Uh, happy to. And uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me on. Uh, really excited about this and uh, really excited about, you know, just kind of technology in the AEC space as it is. A little background on myself. I am a construction guy. Came from about 15 years of construction experience working at various general contractors and uh, I'm an owner, developer, builder, and really kind of got bit by the technology for our industry bug about uh, nine years ago when I just kind of got fed up doing things the hard way and wanted to really focus on improving the way that we could operate on a day-to-day basis. Um, and, you know, we can talk a little bit more about what that entailed and some of the different things I dove into on that. But really, it was around just process improvement and digitization. Um, VDC and BIM and reality capture all were things that were near and dear to my heart. Uh, joined Procore about two years ago to run our marketplace. Um, so if you're not familiar with Procore, we are a uh, construction management platform. And I really emphasize the, the platform side of that because we believe in being an open and connected system that allows people to leverage the best and breed solutions that are out there on the market today. So while we do offer things like project management and project financials and resource management and quality and safety, we really think that it's really important for that data to be incredibly connected across the workflows and the stakeholders that are on the projects and inside of the companies that you work on today. So my job, which I think is maybe the coolest job at Procore, second to maybe our CEO, Tui, is I get to you know talk to all of the construction technology companies that are out there in the industry and find out how we can build partnerships with them, um, how we can leverage the best and breed of those solutions and bring them into the Procore ecosystem so that we can deliver for our customers streamlined workflows, better ways to collect data and information and really an opportunity to move the industry itself uh, forward in big ways. So thanks again for having me. Really excited about the conversation. As John said, we've been talking about doing this for a while. So glad that we uh, finally got around to it. Excellent. So you bring a really interesting perspective then because you've spent time in the industry itself and now you're working for a technology company. And of course, you know, the uh, technology companies would by their nature be innovative and you know would have a dedication to R&D and and pushing things along so you've seen both sides of the coins i mean one of the reasons we started AC Hive was we felt that in general the construction industry didn't have that same drive to innovation and uh, research and development of course a lot of innovations happening on particular projects, but it, it hardly ever gets distributed outside of the projects, you know, and people tend to go on to the next project and almost redo the innovation. Would that be your view? Of- yeah, it's it's a great it's a great thought, right? So as we look at our industry, we're brought with some interesting challenges. Um, 
every project is unique. You know, we are basically building a prototype every time. So even when we do innovate on one project, there's not necessarily the opportunity to use what you learned in some cases on the next project. Now, I wouldn't say that our industry as a whole is not innovative. We've just focused our innovation in different areas. It has not been around technology, right? It has been around maybe changing the means and methods in which we built um, and changing some of the tools and materials we use, but very little focus has been put on, you know, as we've talked about, like the digitization and the technology side of it. And I, I don't actually blame uh, construction or the AEC industry for that. I, I kind of, in some ways, blame the software world a little bit for it and kind of others because we were underserved. We as an industry really didn't have anybody investing in innovation in us. They didn't see us as a, an industry that was, you know, something that they wanted to do. It was only after they kind of touched all the other industries out there and they were like, hold on, wait a minute, here's this AEC industry that like has done nothing. There's a huge opportunity here. Let's go and figure out how we can solve some of their problems. So I think you were absolutely right. There are innovations that happened in pockets, whether that be a project or a division of a company or a specific project manager even, or maybe just some sort of innovation that happened. But we were really bad at sharing that, really bad at scaling that, and really bad in investing in, okay, what are we going to do next? Margins in construction are extremely tight. I don't think anybody is unfamiliar with that. So the thought of investing a percentage or two of your company's revenue into R&D, like they do in manufacturing or like they do in other industries, seems a little daunting when we're talking about single-digit margins anyways, right? Mm. So it was hard to find, you know, necessarily the budgets and the expertise to take a very R&D approach to innovation and construction. And that's why I got really excited to come work at Procore is because I worked for a smaller GC uh, in my last job, uh, about $300 million a year we did. But previous to that, I'd worked at some larger billion dollar plus GCs, but I was only able to affect a very small sphere of, of my world, like basically the contractor I worked for and probably our local competition. And one of the things that was awesome for me in coming over to Procore was the ability to kind of spread a lot of that knowledge around to our entire customer base and the entire industry and just spread those learnings and those opportunities that we could really drive uh, change in our industry. Excellent. I mean, that resonates so much with what I suppose what John and I have been talking about in the AC Hive of creating a place where people could uh, share what they're doing and, you know, to a broader audience and get people out of their silos and their, their pockets of innovation and, you know, just make it more open to everyone. I'll, yeah, I'll add yeah. I'll add one piece to that. Mm. I think what's interesting about that is I remember going to my first uh, Autodesk University, like as I was really kind of getting into the BIM and VDC side of things. And I'm pretty sure that I, I was presenting on a topic and I'm pretty sure in the back of my president's head was this guy's going to go and share all of the secrets that he has about <laughs> how we're beating our competition. I think that is a big shift that's happened in our industry, the, the openness and, you know, organizations like yourselves that encourage that collaboration, that bring people together so that they can share those ideas. Just because you talk about how you did something doesn't mean that someone is going to be able to replicate it. You know, In the mm -hmm. software world, we talk about being able to build products that are difficult to replicate. Well, in the construction world, we should, we should talk about building processes 
that are difficult to replicate because we're all going to leverage kind of the same technology in a lot of cases. But what is the process and how did you bring that together with the people, the technology, and then that process that's difficult for your competition to replicate? Explain to some of our listeners what a platform is. Uh, this is your understanding of the difference between a software product like Procore and uh, you mentioned in the beginning of this platform approach. Yeah. What, what uh, makes what 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 makes Procore different to say Urban 360 or ProjectWise or? Absolutely. Happy to expand on that. And I'll, I'll take a step back out of construction technology to to explain it a little bit more. You know, when you think about platforms, as we look around kind of our lives today, platforms are changing just about everything we do. Right. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure that everyone who listens to this podcast has probably bought something on Amazon. Right. Amazon yeah. built a platform for selling goods and it started off with books, but then they started to bridge out into other things. It's something that uh, someone came and built a business on top of. Right. And, you know, other platforms like Uber have changed the way that we travel uh, and get from place to place. Airbnb on how we are able to, you know, get a hotel room or a not a hotel room anymore and find a place to stay. These are things that are disrupting industry as a whole. And and really at the core of them are is it is some sort of technology platform that is open for others to come and build a business on top of. It is not just one product that is focused on solving one problem. It is focused on solving the problem of either an entire industry or entire demographic, and it allows others to come and be successful on it. And so when we talk about that from the Procore perspective, we know that we cannot build every single tool that is necessary to run a construction project, and we're not even going to try to, right? So we need to take a very platform approach, which means that we need to have open APIs, and we need to have the foundational work for our developers and for our customers and for other technology providers to be able to integrate into us, build unique products that live upon our platform, uh, build entire businesses. We have consultants that all they do is consult on how to use Procore in the industry, right? When you look at Salesforce, great example of a platform, right? And you go to their marketplace, there are like thousands upon thousands of Salesforce consultants out there that have built successful businesses on top of a platform. So when we look at, at Procore, that's where we want to be. We want to be kind of this core foundation, one place to log in to go get all the information you need, one place to be able to have access to all those other tools and technologies that you need through integration, through embedded experience. And we want to, the biggest part is, to bring all of that data and information together in one place so that we can really start to leverage the value of data and start to do things like predictive insights and, and deliver more information for you to run your business uh, and be effective at it. So that's some of the things that differentiate us against many of our competitors. Some of them have APIs. Some of them charge for them. Some of them make it difficult to integrate. Some of them think that, you know, in order for you to be successful, you have to use their entire stack of tools. Um, that's not our approach. We want people to pick and choose what's what's right for them, what's right for their business, because everybody is a little bit different. And, um, and we want to make it easy for us to work with other software vendors and other developers so that we can really move the industry's needle forward significantly. Given your experiences in both construction and tech, on, on the technology side, what models do you see work in terms of driving innovation? I mean, John and I have had lots of discussions about hackathons versus workshops versus, you know, very formal 
projects, you know, innovation projects. Yeah, is it all of those, or is it some of those? What, what's your experience of what what delivers real innovation, and what is just having a bit of fun, but then it, it doesn't actually result in anything? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it's a great thing to think about, right? I, you know, I'm going to say that all of those pieces have their place, right? There is the the concept of how to like rapid prototype or rapid pilot things on projects. The good thing for you know for construction is we are constantly starting projects right so you don't necessarily you don't have one design or one thing that you're building for the next three years and that's the only thing your company's working on you might have 10 of those projects and they're all starting at different times so it provides this interesting opportunity to test and to prototype and to see what's going to work now, I also love the idea of hackathons. I think hackathons are fantastic because they bring people who don't normally work together together, including technical resources, including industry knowledge, to be able to build something that solves a pain point that is kind of agreed upon by the industry. And then because of those different perspectives and because of their different experience, they bring different things to the table that you may not get from just trying to do an internal hackathon at your own company and to try and solve your own problem. I do think that there's also the need to kind of formalize your approach to to innovation. So if you were, let's say, a contractor, and I, I say that because that's what I'm most familiar with, like you have to have a plan. That's the biggest thing. You have to come up with some way and some sort of idea of here's the problem states we're trying, problem statements we're trying to solve maybe this year or over the next five years. Here's going to be our approach on how we're going to either validate, test, pilot, whatever you want to call it and deploy. And then here's going to be once we find one that's successful, how we deploy it out to the rest of the organization. I think what's really interesting is there's a lot of innovation happening in our industry, things that work on one project, cool things that people are doing one time. I think where we've struggled as an industry is then taking that and scaling it across organizations or across the entire industry. And you're seeing some of that happen now. And I think a lot of that is because we're removing a lot of barriers that were there before. You know, the world has changed a lot in the last six months. And so I think a lot of folks have have really started to things that they would never do before, um, they're now more open to. And I'll, I'll give a personal example. My f- previous firm, still pretty close with a lot of the folks that work over there, I tried to deploy Microsoft Teams for like six months and couldn't get anybody to move on it, right? Now, the reasons were it's not stable, uh, we can't trust it, we need one person to control a document, we can't have 12 people working in it at the same time, that's never going to work. On bid day, we can't have it crash and it not work, you know, all these reasons that it wouldn't work, so that we couldn't get the momentum to move forward. And then now, come COVID, everybody has to work from home, and we have to find a way to submit a bid for a construction project with everyone sitting at their own house. Now, we used to sit in a big room together and we'd walk bids in and we'd hand them to one person who would put them in the bid sheet and come up with the final estimate and recalculate and recalculate. And now we couldn't do that. And so because we removed the ability to do it the old way, they were able to try the new way. And lo and behold, it worked. Uh, (laughs) And it not just worked once, but it worked three times in one week. And so therefore now in talking to my 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 friends that were working pre-construction there, they're like, yeah, I don't know why we ever would do this any other way now. And so I think there's a great catalyst that's happening in the world today, especially around construction, around changing the way we think about technology and things 
things that we had these preconceived notions of we could never do that. And and they've kind of been removed. It's like, well, <laughs> we also never thought we'd be locked up in our houses for six months either. So, you know, why not give it a give it a shot? Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I, mean, I wrote an article recently just about you know this situation and how companies now have to think about how much construction can we do sitting at home. You know, like that's the question. You know, <laughs> and at at first you think, well, that's impossible. You can't build a building sitting at home. But of course, you can do a large percentage of of the work in the the you know the design, the pre-construction planning, procurement, you know bidding. Uh, you know there's so much you can do that not where you don't have to actually be you know, in an office with a group of people. Of course, you can't do everything. Uh, at some point in time, you've got to get out to site and assemble elements. But uh, even a lot of the elements can be assembled in sort of better controlled environments like factories and um, you know. So it's really given a focus the minds of everybody i think this whole pandemic has to as, as to what is possible already with existing technologies as someone who sat in one of those metal boxes out on a construction job site and tried to like actually review a submittal on let's say i don't know some steel shop drawings or something like that and had 35 quote-unquote visitors walk into the trailer throughout the course of the day to ask you a question about where was this material has this rfi been answered when's the lunch truck coming where's the first aid kit you know these are all the things and you're you're still sitting here trying to focus on is this beam high elevation correct does this connection detail match the construction documents and you're like you, you can't focus right so now you take that person out of that world of distractions they can still do that job really really well and probably they can do it better than they could before, right? Mm. Given the resources, you know, uh, that they're afforded. And so I think there are some things we can do better uh, not actually being at the job site. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, drywall's not going to hang itself, right? Exactly. It's good. We, we still need to be in the field to, or, in order to build and there's still going to need to be supervision there, but it is going to change how we need to communicate with those people for sure. Yeah. Just to come back to the hackathon and platform idea, I was just thinking, do platforms like Procore and you know your sets of APIs and things make for an opportunity for better hackathons where people can come together and you you can say look we've got we've already got these sets of APIs and tools available as a kind of a, a, a toolbox or a Lego box you know take them and see what you can do with them rather than people coming together for a hackathon with nothing and trying to invent <laughs> something new. Is that a model? I haven't actually seen that sort of model, really, but maybe, John, do you know if that's the kind of model that's happening out there? I've been at hackathons where technology vendors have, have sponsored, I suppose, staff time to come along and uh, give workshops in their particular technology, try and help hackathon attendees get on board faster with the technology, and also put a prize pool at the end or you know, at the end of the hackathon to try and create pull towards their technology for the attendees. I was just thinking, as you were suggesting, it's a good opportunity for vendors to actually engage with and, and provide the tools to people that like to go to hackathons to actually create solutions. I mean, you're really in a unique position as a vendor there because you, you have a huge, well, you have a really good understanding of your own technology and you can actually create tools like client sites uh, software development kits or, you know, high level programming languages like, you know, like Scratch, if you like, you could, you have a lot of flexibility there to actually give to the attendees if you, if you did want to go ahead with that or, 
you know, enhance their uh, enhance their experience. And do do the vendors are they sort of open? You know, if you have these different vendors creating different APIs, it, I mean, would three or four vendors come to the same hackathon, or is it a a Procore hackathon or a Forge hackathon or? I- you know, John, I'll chime in there. I mean, from from my perspective, we we think that these vendors, including ourselves, have to come to the table together, right? Because those are the things that are going to make the difference. There, there's never going to be a world where there is only one piece of software out there that serves the construction industry. Now, one might be widely more popular than the others, but there's always going to be interactions and needs to uh, to 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 solve the interactions between them. So I think having them there together actually uh, is a benefit. And, you know, I've been part of hackathons before where part of the, the challenge that they wanted to solve was trying to make those technologies actually talk to each other, right? <laughs> uh, and, and so uh, I think that it draws attention to the problem statements that are out there a lot. And, you know, I, I love the concept. I mean, uh, I'll say it, I'm not afraid to. Autodesk has done done a great job sponsoring hackathons as well because they have the Forge platform for people to come build on, right? And then Procore, we have the Procore platform for people to come build applications and, and integrations into as well and to leverage the tools that we have. So, you know, I think similarly, we want to encourage developers, we want to encourage construction professionals to solve the problems, not starting from scratch, not having to literally code from from a blank screen, but rather you, here's a toolkit of of uh, of tools and APIs and and functions that you can leverage. Now it's string it together in the right process and the right experience to deliver something unique and something that's going to add value. I'm not a software developer. I'm an architect, and uh, you know probably worked in the industry for almost 30 years. And that's always been my, I'm a user of tools rather than a producer of tools. Uh, but that's been one of my observations that often these tools are, seem to be, have been designed by people who don't understand the, the job it's trying to, <laughs> to do. <laughs> you know, and, uh, so it's, fan- it's fantastic in recent years how, you know, architects and engineers have got in, got involved in these hackathons and these programs like smart geometry etc and merging the experience the professional experience of what needs to be done with the technical experience of you know how can we do this and how can we do it better yeah it's actually funny with with bim launcher my company we focus on bridging the technologies such as like procore and autodesk and, and these other providers but one of the challenges that i found for people that are actually coming out of industry is that they're skilled in the wrong technologies for for modern modern development of solutions and and like the reason that i say that a lot of people particularly designers they're working in visual programming tools like dynamo and grasshopper they are becoming well skilled with or skilled in visual programming and then the options or the pathways once they get into visual programming is to start coding in like c sharp or python and i mean you're still a far cry from building web applications with just those two programming languages. And there's a huge leap that you need to take from, you know, building scripts on top of, you know, on top of the plugin framework on the likes of Revit or whatever it may be to actually building and deploying and scaling web applications. It's just, you know, you're, you're thinking about on one hand, you're thinking about assembling geometry and then, on the other, you're thinking about 
system, you know, system components and how the, how they come together. So yes, we have come come a long way um, over the last I'd say five ten years in terms of the number of people that are actually engaging with with technology um, and building the technology. So actually, a lot of architects moving from that user to producer, or as I like to call it, tractor and trailer. Or, so you're, a lot of architects, engineers, etc., becoming from a trailer and you know trying to make that that uh, jump to becoming a tractor. And I think that whilst you're making that transition, the people that are already building the tools, like you know, uh, let's say for for instance Procore, you know, they are skilled technologists that have been brought up in an environment of building web applications, whereas the guys who are coming out of architecture have come up in a completely different environment and they've probably learned their first, you know, their first skills in visual programming. And I just think, you know, there is still a huge gap there. Well, of course, I mean, a, a very small percentage of architects want to pursue a career in soft, software development, but the majority want to pursue a career in architecture and they want a set of tools that helps them fulfill that career. And there's a general frustration, I suppose, from people who are not software driven around the tools. And, you know, there's a famous letter recently to a big software vendor, you know, from, from their own customers telling, you know, how frustrated they are around, you know, the, the tools that they've been provided. And Ralph, I, I think, I think one of the, I think one of the biggest challenges there is speaking the same language. You know, that's, you know, as someone who's made the transition from working for a contractor to working for a software company, you know, one of the things that's made my transition a little bit easier is um, I had adopted some of the newer methodologies of managing construction around like lean construction and lean, lean design. And which, if you look at it, is very close to what the software industry would call agile, right? Mm. And so I was kind of able to, to, if you will, decode or translate what people were talking about and the approach that they took to designing software as to the approach that we would go to design a building or to build a building if we were using that lean methodology. And I, I it's funny because I did a uh, a panel discussion, uh, I don't know, it's been five years maybe, about this exact topic where I was the, the construction industry guy and I sat down with a gentleman from Bluebeam, a gentleman from Trimble, and a gentleman from Procore, and a gentleman from Autodesk. And I, I said the biggest challenge that we have is we can't freaking talk to each other we don't know how to describe the problem we don't know how you do your work on the other side and if we could figure that out we wouldn't have letters like that being written because we would be able to solve the problem together i think you're you're, you're spot on right architects who are architects do not dream of being software engineers but they do dream of being better architects right mm -hmm. So if they can communicate the problem statement well and in terms that the product managers and the software engineers can understand what it is they're trying to solve, and that really starts with you actually got to get in the room with them. You know, and that I will say what I will take a stance on is one of the reasons I came to work for Procore is we really make sure that we get in the room with our customers and the industry to really understand their problems. So, yeah, I was a customer before I came to work for Procore uh, for three years, and I had more meetings with product managers and with uh, engineers in that three years than I had in the previous eight with any of the other software companies that I worked with combined. And so when you really put a focus on one industry and 
you really put a focus on understanding the pain and the, and the struggle that your your customers are having, I think you can build uh, a better solution so that those people who dream of being better general contractors and don't have any interest in being software vendors can have the tools to be better, run better businesses. I think the, the quality of discourse and debate has really increased recently, particularly with COVID and people going online. And you know, I love, we, we spoke in a recent podcast with Nathan Wood from the CPC, you know, and they talk about this thing of shared pains uh, and you know, just trying to address this, the shared pains, which is great now that people are coming together because you know, before everybody just dealt with the problem in their own office and almost accepted it was a problem and just, you know, learned to live with it or invented their own way of solving the problem internally, which inevitably caused problems for other people. But uh, but they didn't mind because it wasn't their problem anymore. <laughs> but suddenly, you know, in the last couple of years, I've just seen an increase of people willing to come together and talk about these things and uh, and try and try and smooth over some of the issues we're having in a practical way, not in a, an academic way. Some of the standards work in building smart and that, you know, it's obviously really important work. And But I think a lot of people feel disconnected from that. It's it's too high level. It's too academic. It's you know, in the world of standards, which moves at a glacier pace. I was going to say, and it doesn't uh, move fast, doesn't move fast <laughs> enough. That's the problem. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, I, w- I was an original member of the construction uh, PDF coalition, which was the organization that turned into the construction progress coalition. And the whole reason that we were, we kind of transitioned a little bit there was, is that we were trying to drive standards in the way that drawings were created in the PDF format. And we realized we couldn't drive change fast enough. And so we really needed to turn our focus to being able to drive change in how the industry operated. And the best way to do that was to get people to come together and align on what some of our biggest pain points were. So the idea of shared pains of like, hey, let's all come and talk about what is plaguing us. And, you know. Listen, we are in a world today where people share way more about their lives and what's going right and wrong than ever before. And now people feel a lot more comfortable talking about that probably similarly uh, about what's going right and wrong in their business. So they can, in a in a group, in a setting of your peers, come up with, you know what, I have that same problem. Here's how I've tried to solve it. Oh, yeah, I tried that too. That didn't work, right? But being able to get those people to come together and go, okay, well, let's, we all have this problem, right? You know, everybody raises their hands. Yep, yep, all RFIs suck. We need a better way to do RFIs, you know, and then going, okay, well, let's now let's actually come to some way and figure out what we're going to test and how we're going to make change with it. Yeah, I mean, John and I have had lengthy debates and like we just this what sounds like a very simple thing of moving one document from one system to another system and trying to come with come up with some agreement of. What it, what it is it that you need to know about the the document? And we the document, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but and we like we we've been invited to also participate next week. I think it is with um, the CPC on that debate as well. But it's it's great that people are now trying at least to come to some consensus. But it ha- it has to happen quicker, uh, as you say. It's projects are moving on. You know, the life cycle of projects is two to three years. You, know, you can't wait five years for a standard to come out. <laughs> but, yeah. Sorry, Chris. I just I I put up an interesting tweet there about two weeks ago, suggesting that 
the standards themselves create a barrier to entry for organizations to come on board and actually adopt these technologies due to the price and the, and the cost of actually accessing the standards. So not only are they slow, they're too expensive to actually acquire and actually get skilled up in, especially if you're only kind of touching around and, and trying to find solutions to the problems that you're typically then what you're faced with is no offense Chris but you're you're faced with this wall of marketing from vendors telling you how you should do it when really all of the academics uh, you know and, and it's not just academics it's academics and industry working close together to develop a standard a how-to guide essentially um, to collaborate on projects to do whatever it is um, with engaging technology on that project but I just think that it's still too far away from industry and perhaps we would have more of a benefit on actually making standards accessible and those how-to guides neutral accessible to to customers that are actually coming on to use technology well, and I'd give the counter argument as a pro- as a professional. Is it my job to make sure that the tools I use comply with the standards, or is it the the, the job of the the vendors that are selling me these tools? And, and that that's one of the problems I think is that the the approach of a lot of vendors is we'll give you whatever you want. You just tell us what you want. You know, we'll configure it whatever way you want it, and you know, we don't care whether it complies or not. And that. Is part of the problem is that every company that's having these sort of bespoke configurations based on, you know, people who haven't even bothered to read the standards is compounding the mess. I mean, I'd really like to encourage a lot of vendors to maybe read the standards themselves, you know, have a configuration that work, complies with the standards. And then when your customer says, I want to do something bespoke, you know, sort of highlight to them, well, we can do that, absolutely, but you are aware, of course, that it's not going to comply with the standard. You know, I don't think those words have ever been uttered by a vendor. <laughs> it's, inter- it's, it's interesting you bring that up, Ralph, because we, we run into this all the time, even just with people using the same software, but just between different companies, right? And so, like, they want to share information, you get a joint venture coming together, and it's like, oh, well... I have these 14 custom fields that I track on my RFI. And it's like, well, what the hell are those for? Right. And, and it's like, so now I need to, well, we want to have a copy of all that information. Well, we can't get a copy of that because you put this in this field instead of this in this field. Right. So I, I agree with you, John. I think, um, the industry coming together and at least setting those, those baselines of like anything you do above and beyond X is, is your own. Go ahead. Feel free. But we need these 10 things, we need these four steps, and then, you know, as long as you hit these four gating areas or you hit these 10 fields, then we should be good. And and I think one of the challenges becomes around that is then, I think you and I have had this conversation before, it's not about standards anymore and a standard format to push everything to. It's about being able to access that information freely and easily and so that you can move it between systems. Right. And, and trigger different workflows. And, and that's, that's, that's one of the bigger challenges is like, yeah, oh yeah, cool. We can collect that information. Oh, can't get it out of the system though. Oh, that's too much. That'd be too hard. That, <laughs> well, I, I can tell you from a, from a consultant's point of view, we work with all the major vendors and, uh, I can't today go to four or five vendors and say, can you give me a quote on a ISO 19650 part two configuration for this project? 
each one of them will come back to me and say, oh, we've got to spend four weeks with you to con- to work out what we need and we've got to have this much consultancy to you know, determine your requirements. And you know, so you can't actually buy off-the-shelf configuration. And clients are coming to us and say, look, go and get us three quotes for a CDE for the duration of the project. And each quote will come back with four weeks of consultation. Yeah, isn't that crazy that uh, the, all, the vend- all the major vendors in the common data environment space, if you like, not one has a pre-configured, ready to, sh- ready to roll? The, I think the reason for that, Ralph, could perhaps be that they're all internally so different from you know this, that standard and they would have to, have to reconfigure their interfaces. And no, but they all they all configure them. So we're using them. We're using all the major. So they're, they're all configurable mm. uh, at the end of the day to to work to the standard. Uh, but it takes a long time. Yeah, and it, from a you know from a, from the other side of the coin, the, the get get away from the soft from the professionals, the architects, the engineers. They don't want to spend four weeks in meetings discussing how to set up the, the common data environment. They want to get on with designing the building and you know, the stuff that they like doing. For a lot of them, there's questions about, you know, what would you like to call your documents? is <laughs> not a question they want to answer. They, they, they want to think about the, the, the building. You know, so that's, you know, that's where the disconnect is between, I say, industry and the software world, if you like. It needs to, that gap needs to be closed somehow. And that's, I think, a, an area of innovation that could, that needs to take place. I think. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I think that there's a there's a challenge at hand with with any standard, right? Um, and everyone, even though it shouldn't be this way, everybody interprets it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about that and it's like, oh, well, yeah, we, we've done this before on a job and met and quote unquote met the standard, right? And I do, you know, what's interesting to me is the standards, uh, as we said before, move at a more glacial pace than the, than the software and even sometimes the industry. So by the time the standard gets out, people may be like, well, we have a better way of doing that now, right? That moves the project faster, that delivers more value to the owner, that is a, a, a better overall thing, but it doesn't meet the standard. And so I think as a, like, for example, in some cases, as a contractor or an owner, when complying with the standard has to make you make a sacrifice on value on the project or a potential delivery, that can be a, a challenging thing. And I think that's why a lot of times those vendors want to really, truly understand what are the things that you are must-haves. And, that, and that's the opposite of what the standard is trying to achieve. So like a stand, complying with a standard isn't trying to make things more difficult for people. It's trying to make things easy. Yeah. So when you go and book a, a hotel on Trivago or bookings.com or, or any of these things, the information from the hotels that is being fed up the, the, the line into those systems is standardized. Uh, the, me as a person looking for a hotel room, I don't really care how they got it there. Yeah. I'm just looking for a hotel room, uh, or if I'm booking a flight. Amongst the airline industry, they've standardized the sets of data that they, they serve up. 
to the internet and uh, you know from a user's point of view I don't want to buy a hundred euro standard and read it to book a flight I just want to book a flight <laughs> and that's I think where we need to get to in the AEC sector with with the software tools and that is we've got to think about the users and say okay well we've got to serve up to those users um, standardized information that that um, that they can use easily. And and I think the software vendors have some responsibility. Not obviously not all responsibility, but they yeah. You know, if you're a software developer, in the same way that if you if you're developing a website to sell airline tickets or hotel rooms, you have some sort of responsibility to comply with the standards. Um, I would imagine. Um, can I can I just make a comment there? A uh, couple of patterns that I've identified in the industry to date um, around the adoption of standards and particularly around why the UK have been so successful at developing and implementing, uh, I suppose, projects using standards like ISO 19650. Obviously, they gave birth to the the PASS 1192 standards, which grew into the ISO 19650, but it was all driven by the client and the government saying, look, we need a better way to manage our projects. And something like 40% of all projects in the UK were running or were government projects. So they were saying to their supply chain, look, as a client, we're telling you to comply with this standard. And that was how and they were saying, OK, well, if we want to work on their projects, we now have to look at our vendors. Do you comply with ISO 19650? No, you don't. Therefore, unfortunately, we can't consider you vendors losing money. And it's the same thing that we've seen in the AIM CD proposal for the government back in 2018. The organization that produced that slips my mind. Perhaps you know it, Ralph. But they're actually revising that this year based around this idea, this idea, and I suppose a more clearly defined problem statement that the CDE isn't just one solution. It's a group of solutions that make up these workflows on projects. And what I feel through engaging with the developers of that i suppose it's not a not a standard but it's you know it, it's a pre-standard or you know it's a, i don't even know what to call that uh an in some sort of an innovative standard or, or you know a standard a pre-standard let's call it they're essentially going to redevelop this and put it in place the government in the uk will pick it up and they will say okay anyone that wants to i'd like to think that this this is going to be the patterns this is future tense Government's going to pick it up, say, right, if you want to work on our projects, you need to comply with this. That's going to get pushed onto the vendors. Vendors going to have to innovate. Mm. I don't know. Chris, would you <laughs> agree with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, absolutely. If, if the standards are adopted and enforced, then the vendors have to follow suit, right? And, and so the, the challenge becomes when, when they don't have the support and adoption, right? And it's not holistic. If everything goes that way, then it becomes very easy. But there's always then the outliers that are like, well, we're, we're not going to follow that standard. You know, we, we live in a, a capitalistic society, so everyone's trying to find a way to differentiate themselves and to, to win the next job and to deliver more value for the owner and things like that. So even as contractors, I've seen this before where I've done it before, right, where the specification says X and we're supposed to do that. And I go, hey, I have a better way to do that. It's going to save you money. It's going to save you time and it's going to add value to your project. Mr. Owner, would you like to do that? 
And then the owner goes, well, it's going to be cheaper, faster, and better. Sure, I'll do that. And now your standards kind of go, oh, okay. So we continue. So innovation can be our enemy uh, in in cases against standards sometimes because they don't move fast enough to keep up. And now if we could go tomorrow and go, hey, now I want to update everyone to use that standard, right? And it only works for one project or one job that you kind of get the advantage because it is the better way, then I think that that's interesting. But I agree with you. I think as standards become more and more adopted and uh, and and they are well-founded, um, the software vendors will have to come to deliver to them. I mean, I know it's a it's a conversation that happens inside of Procore all the time, which is like, hey, how are we going to make sure that we are more out of the box, you know, 19650 compliant? You know, we we didn't start in the UK. We we started selling in the US to general contractors, and that's not a standard that people use over here. So we're very successful. Now we've made a lot of strides towards it, and we've added functionality and features, and continue to add more to to be able to be there. You know, and that's that's the challenge is um, there's always going to be different parts of the world, different parts of the market, right? Because, you know, that's not required on every project. That's only required on some projects, right? And mm-hmm. so then that's the other, the challenge is until it's widely adopted, some people may just choose to not go after those type of projects. Yeah, it's funny. On a number of these calls, we, we start off talking about innovation and we end up going down a rabbit hole of standards. <laughs> yeah, so maybe to bring it a bit, a bit back to innovation and uh, the fun stuff, how do people engage with Procore and this platform idea? If, so if, if you were you know, a, a developer, maybe an architect is looking towards engaging with tools or if you're a developer and you, want, you, 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 you have an idea and you want to build something that's you're going to work for you on top of the platform idea. How do how do people engage with Procore in that scenario? Yeah, well, we make it really really hard. Um, okay. You know, there's like there's like a there's like you got to call one number, it bounces you to another one. Then there's like 17 <laughs> emails. And you have to figure out the secret passcode. Uh, no, actually, we we want it to be as easy as possible. So. Um, we have set up our, our developer site for anybody that's looking to integrate, uh, build on top of, um, leverage our ecosystem that, um, you can come in and get access to our APIs tomorrow. There's, uh, some SDKs there. There's some example code there. There's example projects there so that people can get started. We then have a monthly, uh, developer meetup. That um, is a web open to anyone who wants to join uh, where we're hitting on any updates that we've made to the, to the platform. And in addition to that, do Q&A. And then we have a full service support team that supports just that group, just those developers, just those who want to build something on top of the Procore platform. Um, now, maybe you're a person who already has a solution and it's already integrated and you want to work on the business side. That's where my team comes in to really help grow that and get it out in front of our customers and in front of others. So, you know, if you are a contractor, if you're a software developer, if you're someone who has something that is valuable that you think you have to offer to the wider industry and want to make that available on the Procore platform, we want to streamline that and make it as easy as possible. We want to make sure that it's going to add value to others 
mean, we've had we've had several contractors who have built their own solutions on top of our platform that we've had conversations with them because they want to get it up on the marketplace and they see it as either something that they want to give away for free because they think it will just make a difference in the industry or they're potentially going to start selling a solution that adds value to projects um, and because they've built something on top of uh, our platform for for the betterment of their projects. Okay. Fantastic. So uh, we've come to the hour. I don't know if there's any other particular things you wanted to discuss or or any messages you want to convey to the AC Hive community. No, I just uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to get on and, and to chat with y'all. Two topics I'm very passionate about: innovation and, and standardization, and moving the industry forward. I think they're actually very closely linked together. So I'm not shocked that you end up having that conversation on each one. <laughs> and um, you know, for everybody out there, you know. Just, you know, as I said before, right, if Procore is something we want people to come build on, whether that be building an application, building a business, um, building your own construction business or your own, you know, as an owner, being able to build your projects on. Uh, so we just encourage you to, to take a look and to have a chat with us if you don't already know us to learn more about us. Excellent. John, any parting word of wisdom? No, not- <laughs> and I don't think I had any part or words of wisdom in the first place, Ralph. But um, no, just wanted to really thank Chris for taking the time to come on and share share his insight. It's been really enlightening and yeah, really enjoyed listening to your perspective on innovation. And yeah, I wish you all the best on growing the platform in the marketplace in Procore. Well, thanks, John. Appreciate it. Yeah. And from my side as well, Chris, thanks very much for your time. It's really interesting conversation and i'm sure we're going to have a lot more of these conversations going forward absolutely look forward to it